Judges chapter 4, uh, we're in this series called Women of Faith. We're exploring some, some of the great women of faith in Scripture. And we're going to look at the individual, the uh, woman of faith, Deborah, today. Uh, fun fact, for those of you who like trivia, uh, Deborah uh, means honeybee. So just a little fun fact, I want to throw that out. has nothing to do with the sermon, but thought probably two people here might find that interesting. Uh, as you're turning to Judges 4, let me just give you a little background so you kind of understand the, uh, what, we're, what we're talking about today as we think about how her story, this great woman of faith, how it will intersect with our world, our culture, our church, and us as individuals. I think there's some things, some lessons for us to learn from her example. What was going on as we look at the Old Testament in this season if you remember your kind of biblical history, uh, God had rescued his people from their captivity, their slavery in Egypt. Moses was the leader, and he had led them out of their slavery to the brink of the promised land, which is Israel, uh, current day Israel. And so they were at the brink of the promised land. They were disobedient, didn't believe that they could take the land. And so they wander around for 40 years. Moses, along with that whole generation, dies. Now Joshua, who is Moses' assistant, now uh, is the leader, and he, uh, they go into the promised land, conquer the promised land, and now are occupying the promised land. And the period between when Joshua then dies and when the 12 tribes come together and form a monarchy where Saul is the first king, and then you have David and Solomon, that period in between is called the period of the judges. Depending on what scholar you look at and listen to, that period is three or 400 years. So that's the, the, the time, and it was a time of, of, of disobedience, a time where they, you know, followed God for a little bit, bit and then they, they fell off the wagon, and it's just a, an up and down time. And God would send judges into, this, uh, into the, in, to the people to help them. And we think of judges, we think of someone that sits on a bench and pronounces some judgment over some uh, aspect of the law. And there were pieces of that, but really the, the primary thing that the judges would do, they were charismatic leaders that God would send to deliver his people, that God would send to help his people during times of crisis. And they would per perform functions like being military leaders, uh, restoring justice in the, in the land, calling people to repentance and, and back to God. So to get a little sense of what's going on as we set it up today and what we'll learn from, from Deborah here in Judges 4, let's read just a little piece in Judges 2, verses 10, and 11, 10 through 12. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers. They're talking about Joshua's generation. So Joshua and that whole generation now is gone. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now, just, just a note. This is parents failing to pass their faith on to the next generation. That's what we, that's what we see here. So they had not passed on. They, 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 they go, they die, but they don't pass their faith on, and that's a problem. And as a result of that, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. That was the, the other false gods of that region and that area. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. 
Now, skip down a few verses as we read on in verse 18. And whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved with pity to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. And whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So again, here they are in the promised land. And they had come to take residence in the promised land. And as long as they remained faithful to God and the covenant that God had given them, and remember that it was God who got them uh, this far. And God was the one that had been with them and had delivered them and had helped them. Everything was great. But they didn't do that. They forgot that God was the one who had brought them and got them where they were. And, and, and they become disobedient. And they, they break the covenant that they have with God. And so then bad things happened. And God's hand was removed, and the surrounding nations would oppress them, and then they would, uh, you know, be oppressed, and they would finally cry out to God, and God would send a judge as a deliverer. And I got a graphic actually I wanted to show you that kind of illustrates that for us. And so you have here, they entered into a time of idolatry, and then that does not go well, and so they were really struggling, and so they were oppressed by the nations around them. They finally get so fed up that they finally cry out to God, and he hears them, and he delivers them, sends a judge, and then they forget again, and they fall back into idolatry. And this cycle in this period of the judges, if you read, read this period, happens, the same thing, this cycle right here, happens some six or seven times, depending on how you count them, but six or seven times and, and they just go over and over and over back and disobedience and then crying out. And it makes me think, you know what? Some things don't change because we still sometimes struggle with this same pattern in our own lives, this same cycle. And so with that background in place, let's see what happens in Judges chapter 4 and Deborah. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Now, he was the judge just prior to Deborah. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Cana, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. It's been said that if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And we certainly see that as they turn again, it says, they turn again away from God and they do evil. And so they open the door for this foreign power to come and oppress them. And that's exactly what happens. And the key word is in verse 1 again. They do evil in the sight of the Lord again. They are not learning from history. And when you don't, again, learn from history, as has been said so many times, you're doomed to repeat it. It reminds me of a refrain that we see through Scripture. A refrain where it says that, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's still a picture of our world. That's a picture of our nation, and all too many times, it's even a picture of us inside the walls of the church, that we do what seems right in our own eyes. And, and we, we have that, well, I know what your word says, God, and then there's that word that we speak, but, but. I know better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to do, or I'm going to go along with what the majority says because, and that's what we see here, God's people abandoning him, abandoning his truth, abandoning his word, abandoning the covenant that they had with him, thinking, I have a better plan. 
And when you look at it, that's been the cycle of human history from the very beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve basically said to God, I have a better plan. In verse 3, Judges 4, And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Talking about Sisera and, and the, the king of that land, Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. Jabin, along with Sisera, they've got this powerful force. And sure, they've got, they've got, they've got foot soldiers, they've got cavalry, but they mention specifically here 900 chariots of iron. It was the would be the modern-day equivalent of uh, Abram's tank. No match for foot soldiers. They were the game-changers in a battle. And notice Scripture says that they were oppressing God's people cruelly. Some of the other translations you might be reading say that they ruthlessly oppressed them. I'm reminded of a Scripture where Jesus said of our enemy, the thief who comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And that's exactly what was happening in their lives. There was a thief that was coming who was killing and stealing and destroying. And it says for 20 years, this oppression, this ruthless oppression, this cruelty of God's people had continued. And finally, finally, they cry out to God for help. Finally, they get desperate enough to cry out for help. Do you remember the day that you became desperate enough to cry out for God to help? Do you remember the day that, that you just realized, you know what, I can't do this. I can't keep doing this. I keep, I keep blowing it. I keep messing it. I can't do this on my own. And that's the point that they get to. And they finally cry out in repentance, God help me. God deliver me. And God sends help and God sends a deliverer. And he sends a deliverer in the form of a judge named Deborah. In verse 4, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Even though they had, the people had, God's people had given up on him. And they had chosen to do their own thing for decades. God had not given up on them. And it's interesting that, that when they finally cry out that God already had a plan in place, God already had a person in place, it says Deborah was there. And Deborah is the one that's going to fulfill the plan that God has to help them. She's a prophet. Scripture says she's also a judge. Another fun fact for you, there's only one other person in the Old Testament that's both a prophet and a judge. Anybody know the name? It's Samuel. Samuel is the only other listed in Scripture, both prophet and judge. So she's in some pretty good company. She's also in some pretty good company that you see through Scripture. There are other prophetesses, other prophets that were female. You see Miriam, the sister of Moses, was a prophet. Hilda, the prophet, who was a prophet during the, or the reign of King Josiah in Judah. And in the New Testament, you've got Anna who uh, recognized Jesus as the Messiah in the temple when he was a child and you've also got in Acts the four daughters of Philip who prophesied, Scripture says. Prophets were those individuals that were the mouthpiece of God, were individuals that spoke on behalf of God, sent, gave messages from God to the people. And so God chooses a woman, Deborah, to be his mouthpiece, delivering his message to the people. She's a judge. She's fulfilling what we often think of a 
of a, of a judge function as she is sitting, it says, under her tree. It says the palm, her tree, the palm of Deborah. It's, she's a pretty big deal. I mean, did, did anybody here, any, any of you have a tree named after you? I mean, she's a pretty big deal. She has the palm of Deborah, and so she sits under the palm, and she, and she pronounces judgment. They respect her. They listen to her. They trust her. God gives her wisdom, and she helps people. God uses her to help people. Verse 6, and she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, this is the bad guys, to meet you at the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Notice that Deborah summons Barak. She summons the general to come to her. And that just, it just is a subtle reminder of who really is leading whom at this period. She doesn't go to him. She summons him. She calls the meeting. And did you catch what the, the military leader, well, Israel's military commander, what Barak, uh, what she says to him, didn't the Lord, the God of Israel, give you a command? And, and basically the implication as she says that to him is, you aren't doing what God told you to do. Because you, God told you what to do, you're not doing it. God told me you're not doing it, so I'm calling you out, is basically what's happening. She's calling him out. This is what God said to you. And so she quotes God. Take 10,000 soldiers from the tribe of Naphtali and Zebulun. And those would have been the tribes that were in the central part of the land where they were. The land that was primarily, of course, probably being, being oppressed. And I've got a map. I want you to check it out. Put it up here so you could see it. Hazor is the red dot up at the top, just north of the Sea of Galilee. The, the lake in the middle, that's the Sea of Galilee. And so Hazor, that's where the bad guys are. That's where the king is. And you also notice over here on the left, toward the Mediterranean on the west side, that's where Sisera is. That's where the Abram tank battalion is located. And so God told them, I want you to take uh, troops from Naphtali, that's in the region where the bad guys are, and Zebulun, that's again in this same area, I want you to meet, 10,000 meet at Mount Tabor, and I'll send the bad guys into this valley in between where there's a river that runs through, and that's where I'll be with you, and I'll help you to defeat them. That's where I'm going to deliver them to you. In other words, God is saying, trust me. I'm not asking you to do it on your own. I'm not asking you to do all the heavy lifting. If you put your faith in me, if you believe in me, I'll be with you. And that's the way God always operates. God does not ask us to do the difficult things, but that he doesn't help us and empower us and walk with us. It's our faith that unlocks the miraculous. And if they would just believe, if they would just trust. And so what does as Deborah is encouraging him to do that, to trust and to do what God had already told him to do that he's not doing. She's encouraging him to be obedient. And, and Barak says, well, I'll go only on one condition if you go with me. And what does that say? It says that 
she had the trust of the people. She had the, the ear of the people that, that, they're, that, that I need you, that I need your help. I need your leadership at my side. And so she agrees, and they head out to the river where God had told them to go. In verse 10, and Barak called up Zebulun and Naphtali, those are those two tribes, to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. And so they call up the army, and Deborah goes. Verse 11 is just talking about kind of setting up what's going to happen at the end of the chapter. I encourage you to read the end of chapter 4. Uh, we don't have time to read that. Let's skip down to verse 12. You'll see what happens uh, after the battle there. But in verse 12, And when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, so they're talking, sitting on the top of this mountain with the 10,000 troops, Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron. And this is, is just after the Bronze Age, so having chariots of iron was, was a big deal. And all the men were with him from Harosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And so God does exactly what he said he was going to do. And as they're on the high ground, God... Uh, brings out Sisera, the bad guys, to meet them in this river valley. And Barak and Deborah bring this Israelite army to the place that God designates. And look at what happens next, verse 14. And Deborah says to Barak, up, attack, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not God, the Lord, go with you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army from Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled from them on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. God told them. They've been oppressed. They cry out. God said, okay, I'll help you. Here's what you need to do. And they, with Deborah's encouragement... They rally the troops, and they get the army, and they go up on this mountain like they, the, God told them to. And then God brings the bad guys, and we, we don't have a lot of detail of what happens except that they were victorious. What's well, really cool, this is one of those places where we have chapter 4 that gives us kind of the, the, the Cliff Notes version. But chapter 5, Deborah writes a song. And there's this poetic language in chapter 5 where she describes what happens. And I encourage you later, that's part two of your assignment for later, read that and read this poetic language of what happens uh, in this whole exchange. And if you read it, and if you read Deborah's song, I really believe it's an early example of country music uh, without the, the trucks and the drinking. Uh, but she just, just talks about what God does. And it's a story song that she writes in this poetic language. What you realize is that as you read it, that God brought rains and floods. And think about iron chariots in a, in a river valley uh, where this river runs through it. And God brings rain and brings, makes, makes the chariots ineffective in battle. So God has done heavy lifting, making the chariots useless. God doing his part Judges chapter 5 verse 15 says, And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army. The Lord did it. And then there's a final verse that we need to get in the, the end there of chapter 5 verse 31, the end of it. And the land rested for 40 years. So God kept his word. God delivered them from the hand of their, hand of their oppressors and he brought peace. When they turned back to him, they brought, he brought peace to the land for 40 years during the life, 
during the time of Deborah the judge. And I think that there's, as we look at Deborah's life, there's some examples, there's some so some things as we look, and she has to teach us that, that we need as actions in our own lives. And the first was this, that we need to learn from this story not to repeat the mistakes of the past. To learn from the past. And we see as we look at this example that they had not learned uh, from their past. And we see this cycle continued over and over. They turn away from God, they forget God, and God just says, okay, then you can... Do it yourself if you want to. And then they're oppressed, and then they turn back to God, and God helps them. And they begin to do what's right. And, and we need to, to see in them our own lives and how we can follow that same pattern, and we need to come back to God. That we need to remember history and not repeat the mistakes of the past. The other thing I think that we need to not repeat is what sadly, tragically happened in them not passing their faith to the next generation and the devastation that that caused. Families, there is no, parents, there are, there's no more important task that you have than passing your faith to your children, to the next generation. As you look at our world, we live in a world where we have not learned the lessons of the past, many lessons of the past, and we see the crazy, crazy cycle continue in our world. We even have people that have taken up the name of Christ but don't actually follow Christ, don't follow his word, don't follow what he said. We need to learn from history. And not only do we need to, to learn from history, we need to be a church, we need to be a people that's, that's back, like our vision here to restore God's idea. We need to be to lean into that and to, to make that happen, to learn from our history. But we also need to live a life, I think, as we see modeled here, a life of repentance and belief. We don't know for sure, but I wonder if part of the problem where they keep having this cycle is that they cry out to God, but they cry out to God for help. And we sometimes do that, but we don't cry out to God for repentance. It doesn't really doesn't, we don't really know if they were really repent, repentant, if they acknowledge, you know what, we did this and we turned our back on you, God, and we're sorry for what we did. Or if they were just, you know what, God, we're in a hard place and will you help us? Sometimes we cry out to God to help us, but we're not repentant. We need to live a life of repentance, to acknowledge our sin, our knowledge of a need of a Savior like Israel, to, to acknowledge that, hey, I need a deliverer, I need a savior, I need a prophet, I need a judge. And, and, and Deborah is an imperfect picture of the perfect deliverer who would one day come for us, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate judge, the ultimate uh, 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 prophet for us. And so we must live a life of repentance, acknowledging our need but also to live a life of belief. But they, 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 God said, you, you do your part and I'll do mine. And God really did the heavy lifting. And that's the case for us. If we just trust him, if we believe, God will do the heavy lifting. God will help us to defeat the enemy who is trying to kill and to steal and destroy. I love the testimony that we heard earlier. It's exactly what we're talking about. And so we need to live a life of repentance and, and belief. And then I would just say quickly that, that we should celebrate, as we look at the story of Deborah, to celebrate God's design. 
And what we see in Deborah is this woman who's empowered to be a judge, to be a prophet, to be a co-military commander, to be, a, to be a wife, and God was with her in that. And just a reminder that God has equipped us and God has gifted us, men and women, with gifts and abilities and talents, and we celebrate that. I love that we have a staff that, that is this picture of, of God's design, of God using, like we see here with Deborah, using, using women in key leadership roles. We see that. I know that as we think about some of the, the background and where we might have come from and some of our history is in the church, there's, there's some disagreement on that, on that issue. We're going to do a podcast because we don't have time to have, we could be a whole series of messages where we look at Scripture from beginning in Genesis all the way uh, to the end and some issues that, that are brought up in Timothy and others. And we're going to do a podcast where we look at that in detail. So just FYI, that'll be coming this summer. But suffice it to say, what we celebrate as the church of God is this, from its, our very inception, this idea that, that, that women aren't on the sidelines, but together we serve and we fill, fulfill God's vision of restoring his ideal together. And then one final thing that I would say to us as we think about Deborah's example is that we all need to find our role in God's redemptive plan. I told you to encourage you to read the end of chapter 4 and what happens with Sisera, the enemy commander, after the battle as he runs away. But if you read chapter 5, again, it's this beautiful poetic chapter, this song where Deborah writes, and, and in it she describes some of that detail. And what you see in it was not all of the 12 tribes, because there are 12 tribes. Notice that only a few of them were listed as a part of the army that went, that fought. And Deborah lists some of what some of the others were doing, some of the ones that were on the sidelines. They were God's people, but they were on the sidelines. In verse 16, it talks about the, the tribe that was sitting with the sheep, hanging out in the sheepfolds. There's another uh, tribe that, was, that stayed along the river in their homes. There's another tribe that, that was hanging out by the ships. And there's another tribe in verse 17 that basically was at the beach, they're described hanging out, not in the game, not in the battle, but hanging out. And so I would just would invite us to ask ourselves the question, what am I like? Have I found my role? Have I found my role in God's redemptive plan? Am I a part of what God is doing in this world of communicating his love and his grace, his mercy to my world? Am I being the hands and the feet of Jesus? Am I willing to give my life to something greater and bigger like we see in verse 18 of chapter 5 where, where, where these tribes were willing to give everything to live a life on purpose, having found their role to be a part of God's redemptive plan and what God was doing in the world? Are we willing to give our time and our talent and our treasure? And I'm honored to serve in a church where we get that. And I know you do that. And that you say in a resounding voice, yes, we want to be a people that, that is not just, not just comes to church and, and gets all dressed up and worships and goes home and, and does our own thing, but together we're changing the world. Together we're helping this community. Together we're working to try to make this world a better place, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Friends, we're just getting started. We're just getting started as we're building laundry hubs and doing a national missions in places like Hungary and Paraguay and Lebanon and, and, and uh, just all around the world starting uh, services, new services that reach people that are kind of forgotten in our, in our area for the most part. 
building a lobby onto this room where we can serve the needs of our community and, and fellowship and have community adopting a brand new campus together, trying to make this world a better place as we restore God's ideal. So my question as we conclude, as our worship team comes back up, have you found your role in God's redemptive plan? Like Deborah did. It goes against the cultural norms of the day, and she is willing to say yes. No matter what anyone else said, she said yes. Are you willing to say yes, no matter what anybody else says? Are you willing to learn from history? To learn what happens when we abandon God and try to live according to our own agenda, ignore God? Are you willing to, to say, God, God, I'm submitting to you. You are Lord. And I'm going to live my life with you as my Lord, my Savior. Are you willing to commit to a life of repentance and belief? Some of you, maybe for the very first time today, want to repent like we see this whole group did and cry out to God. And friends, God, God wants to give you that gift of eternal life, wants to forgive you, wants to set you free. Will you repent and believe that Jesus is Lord? You can text the word Jesus. We'd love to to have, to be in relationship with you, to help you, to send you some resources, you could text the word Jesus, 269-231-8692. That'll just start a conversation with us and you and sending you some resources. We'll have some people after the service too. We'll be here and we'd love to pray with you. There's individuals that have a lanyard that says, can I, how can I pray with you? We'd love to pray with you. Deborah, when her number was called, she went. And she did everything she could to live in obedience to the role that God had given her in his redemptive plan. Are you willing to go when God calls? Are you willing to be fully engaged in the plan that God has for you and how it intersects with his plan for this world? Let's stand this morning. And Father, as we answer that question, as we stand, as we respond, as we sing, God, I pray that you would speak to us. As we speak to us, as we sing this song that talks about your son is our Lord, the one who's come, the one who's given his life, and that God, that, that we need to be prepared to give our lives back. Father, we bow our knee. We confess your son as our Lord, our Savior, our Deliverer, our Judge, our Prophet.